You're listening to the Covenant original series, He Said, She Said. Each one of us has the ability to choose how we respond to situations and circumstances. Today, we investigate how we take back control of our behaviors through the empowerment of Christ. Here is part one, response, ability of He Said, She Said. Ruth chapter two and verse one starts like this. It says, Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. Right off in this chapter, we see this man, this apparently epic man named Boaz. That's a strong name, wouldn't you agree? In fact, I want you to look at your neighbor right now and just say, Boaz. Just nice and strong, say, Boaz. Yeah. It says right here that Boaz was a worthy man. In other words, you could say it like this. If you're taking notes this morning, which I know you're doing because we're a church that worships not only in spirit, but we also worship in truth. I would encourage you to write some of these things down, some of these thoughts and points, so you can then take them to your Sea Life group this week because Sunday is just the start. Here's the first one. It's important to know Boaz is a man worthy of respect. Boaz is a man worthy of of respect. Now, at this point in time in your life, whether you are married, whether you are in preparation for marriage or pursuit or proposal, you need to understand that one of the one of the most important things that you can do right now, apart from investing in your relationship with Christ, is to invest in yourself. One of the most important things that you can do right now is to work on your character. Boaz was a man of character. Boaz was a man worthy of respect. Too often we're kind of focused on this question like, who's the right person for me? Now, so I'm speaking to single people now. I hear this a lot. They'll be like, hey, Travis, I got to ask you, who do you think the right person for me is? And I'm very successful at setting people up for marriage. I don't know if you know that or not. It's one of the things I pride myself in doing is setting people up and hooking them up to get married. But I often get asked this question, who do you think the right person for me is? And I would say there's a question that you need to ask first, which is how can I first be the best me? So yes, you need to, you need to ask like who is good for me, but you also say, need to say like who is the best me that I can be? If I were Dr. Seuss, which I'm just going to put this out there, I am not. But if I were Dr. Seuss, I would maybe like say it like this. How can I be the best me so that when I find the we, the me and the we will be the best we that we can be? Pretty good, right? Yeah? Thank you. That took seven hours to put together. <laughs> what I'm trying to say is, is this. Men, specifically men, in 1 Peter chapter 3, we see that within a marriage, a wife is to respect her husband. And, and I hear this from a lot of people. We see that in Ephesians chapter 5 as well. I hear a lot of guys come in, and they'll come in for premarital counseling or just, just counseling in general, and they'll say, you, you tell my girl, like, like, she's supposed to respect me. I mean, that's in the Bible. Like, God said that. And I'll be like, yeah, you're right. I told you, and I'll say, but you're also an idiot. <laughs> what do you mean? Well, and here's the thing. How can you ask somebody to respect you when you are not a respectable individual. And so first and foremost, we see that Boaz was a man worthy of respect. Let me ask you this morning, man, are you a worthy man? Are you a man of character? Do you have a respectable life? If not, how dare you ask somebody 
to respect you? How can you dare, dare to, to call someone, to tell someone to, that you call your husband, like, like respect me, if you, if you don't live a respectable life? Now, now women are kind of like, yeah, fight the man. On the flip side, though, right, on the flip side here, we read in verse 2 that Ruth is out simply trying to find favor in somebody's eyes. In the original language there, this, this understanding is that she's, she's trying to find favor in someone's eyes. And in that same passage of 1 Peter, we read that, that husbands should be willing to not only be respectful and be, live a life that's respectable, but also that these men, husbands, need to be able to lay their, their lives down for their wives. So here's my question for you, women, ladies. Are you a woman worth dying for? Men, are you worthy of respect? Women, are you a woman worth dying for? And you say, well, that's kind of strong. No, 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 that's honest. Because when you come to somebody in marriage, ladies, that's what you're asking a man to do. Biblically, what you're asking them to do is, are you, is, is this. Are you willing to lay your life down for me? Because if we're going to get married, that's, that's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to be willing to lay your life down. And so, listen, are you a woman that's worth dying for? Notice that in this passage of Scripture, Ruth isn't out like she didn't go to Naomi and say, hey, listen, here's the plan. I'm going to go out. I'm going to clean up some fields. I'm going to try to pick up some stuff. And out there, I'm going to find me a man. And it's going to be a man that's going to take care of us. Naomi's like, that's a good plan. I'm going to find me a sugar daddy, and he's going to hook us up. He give me money. He didn't do that. Right? Right? No, no, no. She just wants to be found favorable in somebody's eyes. In this passage, this word favor is this Hebrew word cane. And it's interesting. When you, when you look at the understanding of this word, it simply means elegant and acceptable. In other words, you could say that Ruth went out there to try to be found elegant and acceptable in someone's eyes. Now, to be honest with you, I am under the opinion, and maybe you would agree, I don't know where you are in this, but I, I seem to, to think that we live in a time where, quite frankly, elegance has been all but lost, has all but been lost. Would you agree with that? In fact, if I were to even ask you this morning to, to describe elegant, what would come to mind? Maybe Maybe it'd be a ballerina, maybe it would be a, a princess, maybe it would be a, a ballroom dancer, I'm not really sure. You might actually draw a blank. And yet Ruth is bent on being found elegant in someone's eyes. I think that we have lost the understanding of what it means to be elegant in our culture today. See, ladies, I want to speak to you this morning very specifically, so listen to me, please. Don't tune me out. You might have been trained or taught or, or told that, that it's cool, that it's okay, that it's all right, that it's good, that it's acceptable to, to wear whatever you want so that you attract a man. Or, or maybe you act a certain way to attract a man or you flirt a certain way or, like I said, wear a certain clothes or lack thereof. Or, or maybe you attract a man by allowing him to do whatever he wants with you in your body. And what I want you to know is that scripture would say this, that is not elegance. That 
acting that way. That is not elegance. In fact, it is the opposite of elegance. If you look up the opposite of elegance, three words come out. Do you know what they are? Crude, rough, and untasteful. You know who likes things that are crude? You know who's attracted to crude, uh, rough, and untasteful? Boys. I'll tell you how I know that. I got four of them. They're nasty. Um, they're all under. They're all ten and under. Uh, a couple years ago, three years ago, three and a half years ago, we found out that we were having twins. I say we. Really, my wife did most of the work on that one. Um, bring it home for the team. And uh, here's what I found out recently. Uh, they they're they're pretty awful sometimes. <laughs> like they're they're pretty crude. They're pretty rough. They're they're pretty untasteful. In fact, if you want to get in good with my three-year-old twins, Asher and Moses, just tell them a joke that has to do with any bodily function. You are their best friend. That has to do with a smell. It has to do with, with poo. If it has any, like, they love those kind of jokes. Do you know why? Because they're boys, and boys like things that are crude. In fact, oftentimes you'll, you'll see my, my boys, Asher and Moses, just fighting. They love to wrestle with each other. Their love language is a smack from each other, right? Like, poof, boom, and then they're just hugging and they love. Why do they love to wrestle? Why do they love to, to hit? Why do they love to play so hard? I'll tell you why. They're boys and they're rough. If I allowed my boys to eat whatever they wanted, they probably would eat whatever was available, um, we found rocks in one of my son's mouths one time. He pulled it out. We thought it was a piece of candy. And you're like, wow, you're a bad parent. Yeah, probably. But he was eating a rock, and he pulls it out, and he's like, candy. And I was like, no, that's part of the earth. Put it back. <laughs> they've eaten worms. They've eaten bugs. They've tried to eat dirt. Why? Because they have a nasty boy palate, and they're untasteful. If you want to attract a boy, then by all means, wear your sexiest outfit, go to the hottest club, stay out till 3 a.m., act lit, get drunk, and I'll guarantee you come home with a boy. You hear me? Things just got real. You will come home with a boy. But if you want to find a man, you may have to switch things up. If you want to find a man, you might have to do something different. Listen, boys don't find girls elegant. Rather, men find women elegant. Boys don't find girls elegant. Men find women elegant. So you may be looking in the wrong place. Well, well why doesn't he find me elegant? Why doesn't he find me, find me that way? I'll tell you why. Because he's a boy. He's... He's a boy, and boys aren't ready to be dated, and boys aren't ready to be engaged, and boys aren't ready to be married, and boys aren't ready to lay their lives down for anybody. They are boys. And so what happens is a girl meets a boy and thinks she can make him a man by marrying him. The problem is that's not how it works. Because just because a boy gets married doesn't make him a man. And just because you married him doesn't make you necessarily a woman. Because when a girl marries a boy and the boy doesn't mature, the girl becomes his mother and the boy becomes a bum. 
Now think about that. Think about that for a moment. Why is he ever going to do anything for you? Why would he ever lay down his life? He's a bum. He mooched off of you when you were dating. He mooched off you and your parents when you were engaged. He mooches off you now. You have become his mother. You are his caretaker. You are providing. You are taking care of him. Ladies, seek to be found elegant in a man's eyes rather than just available in a boy's eyes. Become a woman of character. Become a woman of virtue and value. Become a woman who is chasing after Christ with all your heart. Become a woman of elegance, and God will bring you like a man like Boaz. Now, when I picture this, this uh, Boaz riding up into his field, I think about, I think in terms of movie clips, you know what I mean? And in my mind, he, he's like Fabio, like in my mind. I don't, I don't know, right? I gotta be careful. In my mind, he's riding a white stallion, yoga pants, I don't know <laughs> how that works. He's got long hair, but he's just coming up over the hill in slow motion. You know what I'm talking about? The cinematic movie. Here's this poor peasant woman, beautiful, just, just down on the ground. And all of a sudden the music lifts and, and her eyes lift up. And here's this man. The sun, sun is rising behind him and he gallops over the... That's, that's how I picture Boaz. Um, Boaz was the man. I don't know if you know that or not. Look at verse 3. It says, so Boaz... I'm sorry. So Ruth set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. Did you catch it? Did you catch it? The field belonging to who? Boaz. Now stop right there. Here's a simple point. It's a major one. Boaz had, we're talking about being a man now. Not talking about being a boy. Talking about being a man. Boaz has a job. Boaz had himself a J-O-B, a job. He owned himself a field. He had the ability to produce finance in his life. So here, here's an idea. If you want to be a man, get a job. If you want to be a man, keep a job. Partially because, man, it costs money to pursue a woman. <laughs> we'll let that just slowly build because the truth is so deep it hurts, Right? I can tell you this too, guys. Listen, if you don't have enough money for you, you definitely don't have enough money for two. It takes money. It takes money. I would say this. Scripture actually talks about a husband, a man, who doesn't provide for his household. Now, joking aside, look at what it says. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8. It says, but if someone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, listen to this. Look at what it says. It says, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. You say, Travis, how could it say he's worse than an unbeliever? I'll tell you why it's so strong. You ready? Because as a man, you are to be the picture of Christ to your family. That's why scripture is so strong here. You don't provide for your family. I know Many of us can go through seasons of unemployment. I know that we could lose our job. But predominantly, overall, what Scripture is saying here is that you are to take care of people. You are to provide for your relatives, uh, for, for your family. And if you don't, you deny the faith. You, you deny Christ, and you're worse than an unbeliever. 
You're not only to sacrifice, protect, and lead the way, but you are to provide on all levels of your family. So back to it, get a job. Now, you might say, and I hear this all the time, well, well yeah, yeah, okay, okay, yeah, yeah, I get it. But man, I'm just like, I'm just like waiting for the career that combines my passions with my creative abilities. And so I'm just going to wait till those things like get come around. Okay, I get, that's fantastic. In the meantime, get a job. I get that, man. But, like, I'm just so passionate about, like, this and, you know, my art. And, uh, that's awesome. And I, in, in the meantime, get a job. In the meantime, provide for your family. In the, you've been saying that for two years waiting for Steven Spielberg to call you on the phone and ask you if you want to make the next E.T. Guess what? In the meantime, get a job. Get a job. Provide for your family. Be a respectable man. Be an honorable husband. Am I preaching today? Be a responsible father. Because you know what? Flipping burgers at White Castle is way more honorable than bragging to your friends about how you leveled up and learned a new elven language on World of Warcraft all the while your girlfriend's paying to keep the electricity on. Be a man. Get a job. Provide for your family. We're to lead the way. We're to be like Christ. Lastly, most importantly, notice this. Not only was Boaz a man, he was a godly man. He was a godly man. Verse 4 says this. While she was there, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you, he said. The Lord bless you, the harvesters replied. Verse 11 and 12 says, I have heard how you left your father and your mother. This is Boaz speaking. In your own land to live here among complete strangers. May the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge, reward you fully for what you have done. One of the problems, one of the things rather that we can, one of the ways that we can fix the problems in our marriage even before we have them, you ready? Is to do this. Make sure that you marry a godly man. Make sure that you marry a godly woman. I hear this all too often. Hey, Pastor Travis, I met an awesome guy, and he's a man. He's got a job. That's awesome. Great. Tell him about his relationship with Christ. Well, yeah, I mean, he doesn't really know. He, he doesn't. Well, he's not. A, he's on. I'm missionary dating right now. Kurt, that's what I, you see. What happened was I went out, and I'm, okay, you're halfway there. You want to fix some problems in your marriage before they happen? Marry a godly man. Marry a godly woman. Does he know Christ? Does he know Jesus? See, we as men, we're not only to be protectors and providers. We're also called to be leaders. Listen to me, man. Listen. It's, it, I, I know. It's, it's like ingrained in you to be a protector. You, you see something bad happen, you want to take up for it. Am I right? You want to... Mm, it's even ingrained in us to provide. We want to provide for what's ours. We want to provide for our family. But you know what's difficult? The simple art of spiritual leadership. 
Oftentimes, it's one of the most difficult things in a man's life because it requires intimacy. It requires dedication. It requires us knowing our God, sacrificing, and surrendering ourselves to him. But we are called to be leaders. Make no mistake about it. Let me just say that one more time. We're not only protectors and providers, but we're called to be spiritual leaders. In fact, turn to your neighbor and just look at them and say, spiritual leader. You need to get that ingrained. And in your Sea Life groups this week, I want you to specifically talk, men, as you break up into your groups, I want you to specifically talk about how you go about spiritually leading your wife, how you go about spiritually leading your children. And I want you to gain some insight and wisdom from those around you. In fact, Ephesians 5 says this, starting in verse 25, it says, husbands, love your wives. Let me hear you say the word love. It's almost Valentine's Day. That word should just drop from your mouth so easy. Husbands, love your wives. Now notice how. As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Why? So he could sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing, by the washing of water with the word. This is beautiful. Now look at this. So that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. You know, it's interesting. I went to, I, I was flying out of, of town to a conference a little while back, and I had to rent a vehicle. Anybody gone through that really easy, simple, wonderful process of renting a vehicle? It's interesting. At the end of the week, I had to turn back in this vehicle, and it's almost like they, they expected it to be, come back in better, uh, like in better quality than when it was first given out. You know what I mean? Like when I received it, there wasn't a lot of gas. When I got in it, there was actually some trash in the back. Somebody had left some footprints in there. And this is a good company, you know? I was like, oh, okay. And, and so when I came back, I returned it with the same amount of gas. I, I hadn't thrown the trash away because, well, it wasn't my trash, and I wouldn't want to touch it. And then, you know, my feet had been in there. And they asked me about it. They're like, well, sir, there's trash in the back, and uh, there's some, it looks like there's a little bit of dirt. And I was like, yeah, all that was in there when I got the car. I'm like, oh, okay, well, we just expect it to come back in good condition. Now, here's the point. I am a messy person. No, that's not the point. Here's the point. Here's the point. It's fascinating the language right here in Ephesians chapter 5. It says that Jesus one day will, will turn back in the church to himself, to God. In essence, what Scripture is saying here is that Jesus will be held to an account. He will be held accountable for the state of the church at, one, at some point in history to God. It says he wants to present it without spot or wrinkle, without blemish, holy and acceptable. You say, what does that have to do with marriage so much? Listen, husbands, someday you will have to turn your wives back in to their daddy. One day you are going to have to turn your kids back over to God. One day, listen to me, listen, you are going to have to stand in account for how you stewarded what God gave you. No, your wife is not your property. No, a wife is not your possession. But God has given them to you to lead, to love, and to draw them closer to Jesus. 
And scripture tells us that we are to be the picture of Christ to our wives. We're to be the picture of Christ to our children. And then it goes on to say that just as Christ laid his life down for the church, so husbands, you are to lay your life down for your wife. And you say, but scripture don't know my wife. If it did, there may be a little bit of a clause there. There's no clause. You know what's interesting? Because I don't know your situation. We all tend to put on our best when we show up to church. So everybody's marriage is great. Everybody's walk with Christ is amazing. Everybody's happy, healthy, and wise until we get in the car to go home. That's when all hell breaks loose. That's when it's back to reality. Am I wrong? So here's what I want you to understand. Regardless of your current situation, husbands, lay down your life for your wife. I'm so thankful that we serve a God who did not look at my life and say, well, let's see what he does. And then I'm going to determine whether or not I'm going to lay down my life for him. Well, you know what, Travis, you know that whole interaction? I told you that I laid down my life for you, and Bible, and Bible says that. You know, but man, you really screwed up, or you've really been aggravating me lately, or you really dropped the ball, or, or you bounced a check, and man, I'm just going to, no, 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 no. Regardless of how I behave, Jesus laid down his life for me. Regardless. In fact, Scripture goes into such great detail, it even says that Jesus laid down his life for people that he knew would never follow after him. Let me just make this clear. I have never been nor will I ever be worthy of the sacrifice that Jesus laid out for me on the cross. My greatest days, my greatest endeavors, my greatest works, my best can never earn me the value I would need to earn the blood of Jesus Christ. And the good thing is this scripture tells us, in scripture it says that it doesn't matter, like your works are not what save you. It's not by works you are saved, but by grace through faith. This grace is a gift from God. It's a free gift. And even the faith, as we learned last week, even the faith I have to take the gift is faith that God gave me in the beginning when he called me and chose me by name before the very foundations of the earth were laid, as Ephesians 2 tells us. Husbands, love your wives because one day you will be called into account for how you stewarded what God gave you for a short amount of time. Now, I'm not God, never claimed to be. And I don't know what God is going to ask every husband, every follow, every Christ-following husband. I don't know what he's going to say. I don't know how he's going to call you into account. But I can say this. I would wager to guess that the question is really going to center around this one fact. Does my daughter know me better because I gave her to you? And I think about that in my own life because one day I will have to stand and account, give an account, not as a pastor, not as a Buckeyes fan, not as an Ohio resident, but as Vanessa's husband. 
And God will look at me and say, Travis, I gave you Vanessa, my daughter. Does she know me more today? Is she closer to me today because I gave her to you? Or is she farther from me because I gave her to you? Travis, I, I gave you Noah and Estella and Judah and Asher and Moses. Do they know me because I gave them to you? Are, are they closer to me? How did you steward that relationship? How were you Jesus to them? How were you a picture of Christ? How did you provide? How did you protect? How did you lead? Did you sacrifice? Did you lay your life down? And see, here's what I'm saying. Man, I can provide financially. I can, I can provide emotionally. But if I'm not leading them spiritually, then I'm missing out on being the Boaz that they deserve. I want you to, for a moment, just kind of feel, men, feel the weight of that. Because it is a weight that should never leave your shoulders till the day you die. The weight of stewardship. The weight of being held accountable for how you act. God is good. He's a loving God. But he's also a God of standards. Become a man worthy of respect. Women, reclaim your elegance. Be found elegant in the Lord's eyes. See how he changes your marriage and your lives in the process. Thanks for listening to this message from Covenant Church. For more information on our ministries or to hear more messages just like this, visit us at covenantchurch.us.